Hi, it's Matt. Just before we start the show, I want to tell you about a great live event I've got coming up on the 27th of March. To celebrate 600 episodes of Recruiting Future, I'm going to be hosting a live Ask Me Anything webinar. This is your chance to pick my brain on anything you like, including market trends and predictions, the impact of AI on recruiting, skills-based hiring, the changing role of recruiters, podcasting tips, or even my favourite Scottish tourist destinations and whiskies. Literally, ask me anything. I'll also be joined by some surprise special guests who'll be adding their perspectives to the conversation. You can sign up now by going to mattalder.me slash AMA. That's mattalder.me slash AMA. And I really look forward to seeing you there. That web address one last time. mattalder.me slash AMA. Support for this podcast comes from Eightfold.ai. Eightfold.ai delivers the talent intelligence platform. The most effective way for companies to retain top performers, upskill and reskill the workforce, recruit top talent efficiently and reach diversity goals. Eightfold.ai's deep learning artificial intelligence platform empowers enterprises to turn talent management into a competitive advantage. There's been more of scientific discovery more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 428 of the Recruiting Future podcast. Whether it's the Great Resignation or the Great Reset, Whatever you choose to call it, it's undeniable that employers are currently finding it extremely challenging to attract and retain talent. So which strategies should companies be exploring to improve their odds in such a difficult market? My guest this week is Christine Zorek, CEO and founder of White Label Advisors. Christine is a highly experienced HR leader and has essential advice about building holistic human capital strategies to deal with these incredibly challenging times. Hi, Christine. Welcome to the podcast. Could you just introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Happy to. And likewise, it's an absolute pleasure to be on. Thank you for the invite. And really looking forward to sharing with the audience today and uh, I redefine business strategy with human intelligence. And in 2019, I was named a dis- an industry disruptor by Utah Magazine. And since then, I've disrupted and redefined how human capital works within the framework of modern business. And with 22 years of collective business strategy and human capital experience, I took the helm of modern business by marrying human capital, business strategy, and financial strategy through the lens of human behavior. And my approach synchronizes business constructs to incorporate human intelligence as a proactive strategic function for the sustainability and perpetual impact of the organization. And just quickly to kind of sum that up, you know, we and I really do this by recognizing and harnessing the pattern, uh, recognition and power of latent potential within human capital to optimize organizational efficiencies and ultimately return value to the bottom line. 
And tell us a little bit about your backstory and how you got to do what you do now. Sure. You know, I like to say, I don't know if HR found me or if I found it. Uh, my degree came from business management where early on you know, in pursuing that degree, um, I was able to study under a, an archaeology professor. And in my anthropology and archaeology studies, I was really fascinated just with the dynamics of, um, you know, human groups and in our behaviors. And I was actually reporting to a CFO in a different role. Uh, but because of, you know, our, our need to, you know, really focus on uh, quarterly and year-end numbers, I was beginning to develop relationships with the employees of this group and found that, you know, through kind of these proactive employee programs um, and strong relationships, we were able to achieve those financial outcomes. Uh, and then from there, it grew and I've started uh, a number of HR departments from the ground up, uh, led a large HR team for an enterprise group um, that was going through a rapid succession of M&As, uh, had a lot of fun there. And since then, I've started White Label Advisors, which is a strategic direction firm, um, which focuses on everything that I just shared. Very, very dynamic time for all things talent and, and HR at the moment. Tell us, tell us what you're seeing happening in talent markets as far as employers are concerned. You know, it is a very exciting time because we're finally, you know, kind of understanding, I think, this harmony that really needs to exist um, within an org. But within talent markets, what it's um, fascinating just from the economics perspective on how our professional services and tech sectors um, are really struggling to find talent. Um, but as we move into more of the construction, manufacturing, and then leisure and hospitality at the um, kind of at the bottom of this curve, those industries are having a harder time filling talent. Um, but within you know our audience, where you know I assume most of our audience is going to be kind of in the professional services, tech, and um, potentially you know startup or VC space, um, it is hard to to fill that talent. And so we do need to you know focus on um, some new strategies um, to attract the right talent. Um, and I think we'll be talking about that a little bit later. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the the sort of the key things I wanted to to ask you really. What do you feel that talent acquisition how does it need to evolve to meet the challenges that that, that really all employers are having in 2022? Yeah, and it's it's interesting because you know, we are seeing employers uh struggle to retain talent and um kind of within those professional and tech sectors you know, it's a, it's a hot market and, uh, employees are able, um, to move and, um, not only increase pay, but find better alignment, I think, to the overall purpose and mission of the organization that has a value set that they can align to better. And so for, for employers, you know, I'm, I'm watching a, a few kind of struggle with that right now. And it comes back to kind of very simple metrics around, how we should be engaging and what we should be measuring with our employees. Um, and so for, for that employee engagement, which is really productivity stated in non-financial terms, we need to be focused on the happiness of our employees and fulfillment opportunities that we're able to provide to our employees than the organization within their teams. And then also creating a psychological safe place for them to thrive in so they can feel like they can belong um, and contribute. Um, which increases our, our connections as humans. Um, 
And, and I think, you know, those three simple metrics um, are really telling of why we're uh, seeing, you know, some, some of the effects of the great resignation um, within those sectors. For many organizations, they've, they've never sort of perhaps focused on those things as much as they should have done in the past. How are you seeing them evolve? What are they doing? How are they, uh, you know, adapting to this, to this new reality? Sure. I, you know, I, I, the adaptation to the new reality is understanding that our talent acquisition process is uh, very oriented and mirrors a sales process. And so we need to get clear on what that marketing, you know, strategy is. And, you know, what, what are we declaring to these candidates that we're going to provide internally for them? Um, whether it's career pathing or, uh, alignment, you know, to the overall mission, vision, values, but uh, we need to, you know, really synchronize kind of that talent acquisition um, message um, and be treating the candidates in a very hospitality oriented way. I think the time is over when you know we have kind of these um, aggressive interviewing tactics and it's um, very kind of overwhelming, and we're trying to, um, you know, kind of stress test or um, or interviewees. You know, if we can get to kind of a spot or a place of vulnerability and honesty and transparency sooner within that interview process, um, the candidate is going to come much more of themselves versus, you know, feeling like they have to um, sell themselves through that interview process. And then we have, you know, disparity or dysfunction um, after the hire. Um, but then additionally, it's uh, taking, you know, what we say we're going to do and actually uh, executing on that um, within, you know, their um, employee life cycle. So how are we working with leadership and management to ensure that um, management understands what, you know, we're promising to these employees by way of career pathing? And as an executive team, are we really committed to that? Are we committed to the diversity, to the diversity and inclusion that we may be, you know, seeking from the, the talent pool? Um, and that's a, you know, really interesting conversation of, uh, hey, we want to, you know, enhance our d and um, you know, kind of demographic. Um, but, you know, if, if we're recruiting d candidates, we certainly cannot be providing, you know, just kind of the regular mainstream organizational tools or, or management styles that we have in the past. A quick message from our sponsor, Winolo. Hi, everyone. I want to tell you about Winolo. That's W-O-N-O-L-O. Winolo stands for Work Now Locally. Winolo enables businesses to find quality workers for on-demand, seasonal, short-term and long-term work. Ditch the bulky paperwork and interview process and use Winolo to find quality workers fast and get work done even faster. With flexible workers and no platform fees, you can save on operating costs, meet demand and maximise earnings with ease. Winolo is available in over 100 markets, including Chicago, Dallas, Atlanta, New York and Seattle. Get workers who are ready to work and spend less time finding them with Winolo. Go to www.winolo.com slash pod. That's www.wonolo.com slash pod and take the stress out of finding workers. 
the thing about describing this as the the great resignation is uh, you know that's all about it's all about people leaving and creating this uh, turnover within businesses and there's been a lot of focus on what companies can do to to, to hire people to to fill these gaps or their their business might be changing and they need new skills into their business but actually what you're sort of talking about there is 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 effectively what we do to retain people how do we how do we make good on the on the promises of the employer brand and 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 everything that that people are doing to get, to get people to join their organization just to sort of dig a bit deeper into that what are you seeing employers do that really works to kind of bridge those silos and get the whole organization working together to 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 retain the, the talent they have and obviously and also offer a very inclusive work experience sure and i appreciate that because i think we have the great resignation because you know employees are saying hey you know we want better and, and we deserve better in a way that you know if my organization said that they were going to do something and didn't, that there's transparency there. And so I think, you know, for organizations to answer your question directly, Matt, is, um, you know, ensuring that we're aligned to that higher purpose, that we can very clearly articulate, you know, what our organization's vision is, um, and then being really, really transparent um, in a number of areas. So I think in our total rewards package, People do expect transparency now um, and employees are more knowledgeable, I think, than they used to be. And so we need to be very expressive in, you know, the quantitative data that we've used to maybe carve out our comp alignment and the internal bandings, which leads to pay equity um, because we have transparency there. Then also the qualitative value in, in how that overall total rewards package was designed. Um, and I think education for the employees on Hey, this is where our company is at today by phase, stage, our maturity. And, you know, if you came, you know, for example, if you were in, let's say, the life sciences industry and you were at Johnson and Johnson or one of the major players there and switched over to a kind of new, new stage, more innovative uh, biotech uh, company that was developing something new, you know, the pay structures are going to be very, very different between your mature and established Johnson & Johnson brand versus a newer age startup um, that's developing an innovative technology. Um, and we need to educate our employees in that way um, because, you know, not, not every company is apples to apples. And I think within our, you know, recruitment processes, we really need to stop asking candidates what they were making somewhere else because there just isn't alignment. We have no idea how that prior organization was aligning their confidence because it may be entirely different um, in how we're weighting base, base salary and how we're, you know, um, measuring that towards the market, whether it's 50th percentile or 90th percentile and what location that's rated to. But then also um, within our, the strength of our benefits package and maybe their stock options or retirement plan. And we weight those differently to provide short-term you know, security by way of our base salary. But then we also have short-term incentives and then long-term incentives built into those uh, rewards packages. And we can't expect our employees to understand what we're not telling them within that because it is it is a complex design there. Um, but then also management and leadership development. You know, the manager's relationship to their employees and how they effectively lead the team really determines the employee's day-to-day -day happiness on the job. 
um, and their sentiment. Um, and if we're not providing our managers with the right development um, tools or learning uh, kind of resources, um, and we're not taking kind of this due diligence um, stance on identifying pre-selection criteria for what makes a great manager within our organization, um, we can't effectively, you know, retain talent um, because there just will, th- those gaps will exist. And what role can technology play in supporting all of this? Yeah, it's a great question. I think um, certainly technology and AI tech uh, that's coming to market can really help us understand uh, employee sentiment, or we could look at it as an ENPS score, um, but in a way that's more altruistic and transparent and honest than what you know general employee surveys do, because um, we, you know, we can't change or change community communication strategy um, or meet the needs of our employees if we don't truly understand um, what they need and what their sentiments are around kind of current policy or current structure. Um, but then also we need to be providing um, employees through technology um, great learning and development opportunities. Um, and technology is a way to scale that um, so that we can, you know, kind of reach more employees um, and, and push those opportunities um, through the organization Um, But then I think, you know, technology has also changed the game because our employees are more knowledgeable now. Um, And and we're, you know, almost a flat world. And so employees um, across the U.S. and in Europe, you know, can be exchanging dialogue around the employment experience. Um, And so it I think it provides kind of this fantastic ecosystem where we have some gentle pressure, you know, from what, you know, employees are asking for. Um, on organizations, so organizations will be more, more transparent, provide better um, DNI opportunities, and and essentially, you know, help elevate each other in this very kind of healthy, balanced way. And I wanted to specifically ask you about gender equality. I mean, how far are we from achieving gender equality in the workplace, and what should employers be doing to to kind of accelerate this? Yeah, thanks, Matt. I love this question. Uh, it's a topic that we need to be talking about. Um, and I think, you know, bringing more to the forefront and there, you know, are multiple factors uh, that lend to gender equality in the workplace. I think we will see gender equality improve um, just due to attrition uh, because of retirement with uh, kind of individuals that have been in the business world for a long time and might have more institutional views around it. We also, I think it's going to take some time to educate executive teams and leadership teams on what diverse talent looks like, meaning diverse talent has a different pipeline to success and a different trajectory and path to success than a a non-diverse candidate. And I think a really good representation of this is if... uh, because of the SEC's human capital reporting requirement, publicly traded companies now have to report on DNI at each level of the organization. And across the board, we're still seeing very steep cliffs from a more diverse um, kind of rank and file employee base up to management and then up to leadership, where it's very stark and we almost have a complete drop off once it leads to management. And oftentimes I get questions about diverse candidates' resumes um, where they haven't had long um, stints or long durations at at the employers on the resumes, and they often go out and try consulting for a time. But if you think about it, they're working within an organization 
um, that maybe just doesn't uh, provide the opportunities for them yet. And they're working with non-diverse talent. And that can mean, you know, our backgrounds look different, our education looks different. And we need to, I think, close that gap so we can be promoting more diverse talent up to leadership and up to the executive level. But again, it's we can't expect a diverse candidate's resume to look like the non-diverse candidate's resume. There needs to be a lot of training around that. I think specifically for gender equality, um, men and women communicate very differently. Um, men and women uh, analyze very differently, where women um, start very broad. And they're looking at kind of at this holistic view. Women are very good at strategy. Um, I think that, you know, um, kind of lends to why women are fantastic fighter pilots. And there's a lot of studies coming out about that because they can multitask. They can have a kind of a broader view of what's happening where men start narrow um, and expand out. And neither is bad. And I think they're entirely complementary to each other. But if we have an all-male executive team and you have females that are kind of, you know, at that next tier uh, leadership level and they're communicating differently and they're seeing and analyzing problems differently, um, it's very easy to say, well, they're not, you know, doing it right or they can't be promoted yet. Whereas we just need to understand, I think, some of the differences there um, and, uh, and and bring those in, you know, and statistically for years, we've known that, you know, uh, more diverse boards, more diverse executive teams um, have better tenure amongst their employee groups and uh, better returns on their financials. Um, but there's still, still a gap. And as far as the time, how long is that going to take? Um, you know, I hope it's not another 20 years, um, but we still have concerns within pay equity. And, and I, you know, applaud kind of the SEC for really um, getting down to the crux of human capital reporting. You know, there isn't a lot of um, guidance on it yet. At least it's starting to get kind of these public groups um, looking at it and being transparent about it. And once we see kind of truth in the numbers, I think it will help um, change uh, and help help us progress kind of as a, as a business um, society and network. So final question, what is the future look like for talent acquisition and HR? I know it's obviously very difficult to uh, predict what's going to happen, but what would you, what would you, what would you like the future to look like? That's a fantastic question. And I would like it to look like a concerted humanized effort, understanding that HR is mirrors the internal constructs of the business externally. You know, we talked about talent acquisition, mirroring sales, um, in HR, we need a communication strategy, which is, you know, very much a marketing function. And we could go on kind of down the list around performance management and understanding what we're measuring too. Um, and it's also very operational. And we need to understand how, you know, kind of those internal functions and constructs are supporting the external constructs of the business to achieve, uh, kind of, you know, our competitive edge or that desire. Um, level within our, our market and industry. Um, and so for talent acquisition, um, it's, it's bringing in the right talent, attracting the right talent and ensuring that we have everyone um, on board that's aligned to the mission and, and vision. And we're working from the same value set. And if, and if we have any type of, uh, you know, kind of disparity there, we often see, you know, higher, higher turnover. And so just to, again, kind of sum that up, it's a concerted, concerted harmonized effort um, between those two functions. Christine, thank you very much for talking to me. My thanks to Christine. 
You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list to get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time, and I hope you'll join me. This is my show. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about, and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.